Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is so important. It's adjusting capacity in a changing marketplace, and I am thrilled to have Tom Finnegan. Uh, Tom is with Strathmore, is a principal in the mortgage banking arena, and prior to that, he was president at First Merit and Huntington Bank and some other community banks. So, Tom, welcome to our podcast. Uh, thanks, Pat, very much. Glad to be with you. Well, this is a terrific topic, but before we segue into it, why don't we talk a little bit about how did you get into mortgage banking and how did you get into managing? Well, I started my career actually in public accounting. After graduating from Penn State, I uh, worked for Pete Marwick Michelin Co., which is now KPMG. I, I left there and went into the savings and loan business, basically, in Pittsburgh, at first, I was uh, the internal auditor and then treasurer of the bank. And in that role, I started selling and buying mortgages back in the uh, uh, time period when portfolio restructuring was part of what we needed to do. At some point, I came up with the good idea that not only should we, we, we be working with our portfolio, but we ought to get into the uh, mortgage banking business as more of a business line. And uh, the president of the bank at that time said, well, that's a good idea. Why don't you do that? So I, uh, uh, back in around 1983, it's now been 38 years or so, I started to, to develop a mortgage banking uh, group in coming from the capital markets and accounting background primarily. And over time, I uh, grew into leading the effort at the, my company back then and uh, became um, the, the lead executive in mortgage banking. So in that role, I started to get very involved, of course, in all aspects of the business, including sales, servicing, uh, operations, and so on. And that's how I grew up in the business. So unlike many who started on the sales side, uh, that was how I wound up uh, in mortgage banking. Well, you certainly have a terrific background, which leads me to my next question, especially now that you're with Strathmore. What's your biggest challenge uh, in the role and what you are seeing with lenders? Well, we've been very busy, of course, at Stratmore because this uh, environment we've been in the last couple of years has presented operational challenges to our clients, and uh, they're looking down the road at the future. So I wind up doing a lot of strategic planning work uh, in the firm. I'd say the biggest challenge, as always, is, you know, I wind up uh, working on multiple engagements uh, at the same time. So I'm making sure I can balance and do an effective job for each client while handling uh, multiple engagements is a challenge, but it's really been exacerbated uh, this year by the fact that we've not been able to travel. So particularly in, a, uh, in an engagement where we're working on planning, it's important for, to get, a pulse, get the pulse of the organization as part of that effort. And while you can do that to some extent uh, over Zoom calls and so on, uh, there's nothing really that replaces that personal interaction. So I've missed that, and that's been a that's been a challenge. Hopefully, we can get back to uh, visiting with our clients more face to face uh, as we uh, continue on down the road here in 2021. Well, that leads to the next question. What's been your biggest surprise so far this year? Well, you know, Pat, I, I don't think a lot of things have have rolled out kind of as we would have expected in a high volume situation with all the capacity. Uh, difficulties and so on that we'll talk about later in the call. 
I, I would say maybe not just in 2021, but going back to 2020, of course, the work from home environment, uh, the success of working from home uh, for most of our clients has been a, uh, a surprise. I mean, it's worked out very well. Uh, and as we'll talk about the uh, the, the likelihood is that some elements or maybe even many elements of the work from home environment will continue on into the future because there are a lot of benefits from that in terms of managing costs and managing capacity and so on in the fulfillment environment particularly. So I think, uh, again, the surprise has been the success of that and uh, maybe coupled with the fact that our clients are, it's really starting to dawn on them too that they do have to continue on with technology improvements, even though the tendency uh, in 2020 and 2021 to address capacity issues has been by adding people, uh, the, the old tried and true method. So I, I think those are the probably the couple of main things. Especially with your work in what you're doing now with Strathmore, talk about how do you keep up to date on the latest changes and what is it that you're focusing on yourself from a learning perspective? Because so much has changed. Well, it continues to change. And, uh, you know, that is a challenge, too, of course, staying current with all the with all the happenings in the industry. I, you know, I certainly benefit individually by being associated with the group of professionals at Stratmore. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, seminars and webinars and uh, workshops and so on. We collaborate with the Mortgage Bankers Association and the Peer Group Roundtable Program. Uh, we've been doing that now since 1998. And so just the exposure to those forums, it's certainly a critical part of my learning. I try to supplement that with, uh, you know, doing a lot of a lot of reading. I certainly follow our associate Rob Christman's blog every day. I do a lot of background reading when a topic comes up uh, in a client engagement that I don't know much about, or as much as I'd like to anyway. I try to do background research on that and uh, continue my education in that way. But again, the I do benefit, I think, from the fact that uh, I get a perspective from so many different organizations in so many different ways. Uh, as a principal here at Stratmore Group. Well, I agree with you. I mean, Stratmore's research is wonderful. I mean, I read it myself. So that leads really to our topic today about adjusting capacity in a changing marketplace. Uh, why don't you mm -hmm. share your thoughts? Well, I guess just first a little review of 2020, what happened? Uh, you know, it's been an explosive year in terms of profitability uh, for virtually every uh, participant in the industry, banks and non-banks alike, even the larger banks, which struggled a bit in 2017, 18, and 19, from a profitability standpoint, had very profitable years, uh, a very profitable year in 2020. So the 2020 performance has been a revenue story primarily. Expenses and the issue of capacity management, as I mentioned earlier, the tendency has been uh, to try to leverage people in order to meet the capacity challenges of 2020. So what that has caused is, first of all, an increase in overtime, an increase in the use. Uh, it's been difficult for people to hire uh, talented people with uh, specialties like underwriting or very experienced processors and so on. So the tendency of our clients has been to try to segment off aspects of the traditional role processors and underwriters into more discrete pieces so that uh, less experienced people that they could hire uh, can take on those roles. 
And so uh, we know that leverage both works both ways. You know, the benefits of put, being able to push more units through an existing structure, uh, again, has benefited the industry from a profitability standpoint in 2020. And that is going to unwind in a similar fashion. So the first thing that will go probably uh, is the wide margin, pricing margins, and that's already uh, seems to be happening in the industry. So that will start to put pressure on managing capacity. And uh, I think the most important thing is for organizations to to not bury their head in the sand and realize that the day is coming. We never know exactly when it's going to be important to be able to manage down the capacity uh, in the organization. Uh, there's going to be a lot of tail end stuff here associated with the large pipelines right now. I mean, some organizations are still out 90 and 120 days on certain portions of their pipeline in terms of getting those loans closed. So that's going to have to happen first before any capacity management can continue. And Pat, were you going to ask a question now? Sure. Yeah, I wanted to get your impressions of, again, why is it, and it's true what you said, that their Mm -hmm. first strategy is to hire people and therefore the technology investment has not been as it should have been. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, arguably, uh, the industry has not really experienced a return on investment on technology. What has happened is the particular portions of technology, particularly the customer interface aspects of digital lending, point of sale technology and so on, has become a table stakes issue. So it's, it's been important for clients to have it, but by, by itself, it has not really contributed much to overall cost savings. I mean, productivity productivity for origination and fulfillment staff, origination more sales staff more than fulfillment, but uh, had, did go up in 2020. But the, the payback on specific technology investments and the fact that we're still early on in some things that could have payoff in technology, things like further use of uh, uh, AI, bots, and so on in the fulfillment process, that really hasn't materialized to a great degree yet in terms of impacting cost results. And, the, you know, there is a cost to technology, too. So, again, when we look at cost, you know, if you're going to engage a vendor, a new vendor, in some aspect of the fulfillment process, that doesn't come free. So you you supplement, you know, or, or replace certain personnel costs with technology costs. So arguably, the industry does need to continue to invest in technology. Uh, you know, typically there's the old adage, you know, you're either too poor or uh, or too busy. You know, so if you're too busy, which, which was the case in 2020, you set aside the technology investments. Uh, but now, you know, as margins uh, narrow, uh, the argument could be made that uh, companies will want to avoid spending a lot of money in tech, but they need to. Uh, again, you're, you're correct, though. We haven't seen the payoff yet. I think, again, what 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 will happen and what companies need to do really is get a, get a plan together, start thinking about how they're going to address uh, the capacity, uh, overcapacity, which may uh, occur if refinance volume really starts to precipitously drop. And especially for uh, institutional type organizations like larger banks and so on, where there sometimes can be bureaucracy in that process. Uh, it's important that mortgage banking leadership get with their human resources people and outline what's going to be coming up 
and uh, so that so that as much as is possible, personnel adjustments can be made as needed on a quick basis. What happened to the uh, larger organizations in 2018 was that that didn't happen quick enough, and that's what really caused drops in large bank profitability, particularly in 2018. So what about this issue, and this is what I see at lenders, is that they've mm-hmm. made investments in technology on the, the on the front side, but mm-hmm. the loan officers don't use the technology. Is that what you see? Well, I, I, I'd say it's a mixed bag, uh, and it really gets to the culture of the organization. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of independent mortgage banks are very decentralized in terms of how they manage production. So their their branches can, in effect, opt out. You know they're running they're running their own shows, and we do a lot of work to try to get more discipline uh, for those kind of companies into their sales management process, so that they can leverage actually their investment in technology, so that there's a payoff for it, and that you don't have the random uh, opting out basically by certain loan officers, and that will be important uh, going forward. But yes, that's a, it's a problem, especially again for independent mortgage banks that are very entrepreneurial and decentralized on the sales side. So, Tom, um, so Tom what about the issue? Okay, moving on to another part of it, it's the, what I see, mm-hmm. is that the issue of you're talking about having the same vendors, the same technology, it really mm-hmm. is not a competitive advantage. Uh, well, that's true. I mean, certainly there are a couple of key players on the LOS side that dominate sure. the, the industry, one in particular, of course. And so that, uh, you know, that fact does make it more diff- more difficult for a particular organization to differentiate itself. Some have done that, you know, some of the, certainly some of the larger independents mm-hmm. have done that, but it really does come down to execution, Pat. That's what we see. I mean, you know, people armed with the same technology uh, aren't benefiting in the same way. Again, even inside the, uh, uh, the environment at the, the, the lead provider, uh, there are multiple uh, instances of how that uh, technology is used in the uh, in the actual world, real world, and again, I'm working on a project right now where we're going to try to uh, figure out how best to standardize uh, the process around using that technology so that everybody in the organization is benefiting from it, and certain additions can be uh, made or, or automation can be. Uh, done on top of the, the basic platform in order to gain some efficiency. So it does come down to execution and workflow analysis to a great degree. So Tom, when you look at making a projection for the next, let's say the rest of this year and going forward, it's pretty clear mm-hmm. that refis are moving away. So right. what is what is the capacity strategy for purchase? What, what do you see as the big issue, even though purchase will not replace the total number of volume that refis have generated? The focus has to be on being very good at purchase. Sometimes, especially again, for the large, large and mid-sized banks, that slips away during the refi period because they're so overwhelmed with just handling refis. So uh, or many independents, though, have maintained a high purchase money volume percentage even during the refi by intentionally because they don't want to, uh, they didn't want to lose track of that purchase money emphasis that will carry them into the future. So I think, um, you know, really focusing on the needs of the customer and the realtor uh, in the purchase money environment uh, much better marketing, I think, uh, into the purchase money world, uh, making sure that organizations understand 
the, the character and nature of their past customer database so that they can go back at the right time for a prior customer and uh, make their offer uh, for the next transaction that that customer may, may need on a timely basis is going to be very important for those organizations to continue to grow share. And as, as you know, independent uh, mortgage companies have grown share you know, over the last couple of years versus the banks. Again, and some of these things are, are part of that where those organizations have been more focused, better marketers, on the purchase money side of the business. And um, that's where they're gonna go in the future. On the capacity management side, I think what you'll see is organizations that have ramped up by adding people will start to unwind uh, those things in kind of the same order that they added. I mean, over time will go first, you know, then temps or contract work uh, will go next. Then uh, people who have been juniors who have been added to the process, again, organizations will need to determine when they've segmented out the process into more discrete pieces, how much of that really worked, how much of it was just a defense mechanism, what are they going to retain in the future in terms of the workflow? So another solid look at workflow is going to be important. Well, it sounds like and, you'll be uh, busy for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. But that's the, I think that's how we see it unfolding. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it's not nuclear physics, but it is something that um, that companies are going to have to address very carefully. Right. So time has flown by, Tom. This has really been terrific. So why don't you share a few takeaways for our listeners today? Well, I'll give it a shot, Pat. Um, yeah, again, I think the main thing is uh, don't put your head in the sand. Plan for what we know will happen. It has to. It's a mathematical certainty. Refinance volume is going to drop. And um, uh, for all organizations, become uh, better marketers and really take a hard look at your workflow. Try to get more standardized workflow across your organization. Don't forget about continuing to invest in technology, particularly those things that on the fulfillment side that can potentially help you take routine transactions and make them more automated so that people time can be, can be lowered. Uh, those are the things that organizations, I think, will have to look at, uh, and that should be the takeaways from our discussion here this morning. Well, thanks, Tom. It was terrific, and you shared a lot of great thoughts. Thanks so much. You're most welcome. I enjoyed it, Pat. Take care. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.